And welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, joined by Andy Roth, who covers hoops out of the New York metropolitan area. And uh, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by DraftKings. More from our sponsor in just a little bit. And today we have a very special guest, Mr. Mark Shanowski. And Mark, I equate this to Eddie Murphy coming back to Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you, of course, you, of course, and I started this podcast a while back. Uh, and you and I have known each other for a long, long time, obviously, and I've always, always enjoyed talking hoops, and we wanted to have you on today, so welcome back. It's great to be here. Obviously, it's been a fun start to the season with the Bulls, but now with all the COVID stuff, we're all kind of holding our breath to see what's going to happen next, and we'll cover all those things in the next half hour or so. Yeah, yeah. why don't we start right there, because the Bulls had their game canceled. I was telling Andy, it wasn't the league initially, like, well, the league had to cancel the game but I don't think it was on the league's initiative, tonight's game being canceled. The Chicago Health Commission or whoever the heck they are, they were the ones who sort of put uh, the pressure on the league to have this game canceled. And now the game up in Toronto, that's no surprise. That game was canceled on Thursday. And Sunday's game, which was scheduled during the day against the Lakers, has now been moved back to the night. I'm not 100% sure why on that one, Mark, but you know, and now COVID is going around the league. I mean, the Nets barely had enough players. They're playing tonight as we speak, you know, so this is getting serious all over again. Well, especially when you get superstar players involved. Uh, Earlier, we're recording this on Tuesday, James Harden tested positive, which puts seven Brooklyn Nets players in the health and safety protocols. And then just in the last hour before we started, Giannis Antetokounmpo goes into the health and safety protocol. So when you have Big-name players like that, that is really going to draw the attention of the league office. I mean, you know, Philadelphia was the first team that got hit really hard. Joel Embiid was out for a long time, and then it was the Charlotte Hornets, and then it went to Chicago, which, of course, is a big market, and you lost DeMar DeRozan and then Zach Levine. And I think it really took star players going out to get the attention of the league office. I mean, they were kept saying, well, as long as you have eight active players in uniform who are healthy enough to play, the games will proceed. But it really was affecting competitive balance. Look at the Bulls situation. If they would have to go forward without Zach Levine, without DeMar DeRozan, with having, you know, a couple of two-way guys and a guy they just signed off the street in their top eight, you know, it really would have impacted how many games they could have won in the short term. And when you look at what the Eastern Conference is shaping up to be, a couple of wins or losses could have a huge impact on whether you're a four seed or you're in a play-in game. You know, you've I've seen on social media where people saying, Let's take a pause, but I think money talks too much. You don't see that happening, do you? No, I don't think they're going to take a pause with the league schedule. I think that what they'll try to do is handle individual team situations. We've already seen that in the NHL where they've already given teams a week off or so when they had too many positive tests, realizing that it would destroy the competitive balance to try to play without five or six of your top guys. So I think that's what the NBA is going to do now is look at individual situations. Obviously, if Brooklyn gets another player or two that goes into the protocols, they're going to have to shut it down for a while there. And now we see a situation where the Lakers have a couple of guys in the protocols and they just got on a plane to fly to Dallas for a nationally televised game tomorrow night. Of course, as David mentioned, they're supposed to be in Chicago to play the Bulls on Sunday. And we'll see if that game is going to go off as scheduled. I mean, it's going to be one of those choppy marches through the holidays. And maybe when we get through December, things will start to moderate a little bit. But uh, the weird thing is that, you know, most of the NBA, the players are fully vaccinated. And now a good percentage of guys have already got their booster shot. So why, where are these all these positive tests are coming from? I mean, Billy Donovan expressed his frustration the other day saying that, 
you know, uh, my guys are fully vaccinated. They're sitting at home. They're asymptomatic. And we have to follow by the league protocols, which means you have to sit out for 10 days or return two negative COVID tests. And, you know, nobody's been doing that. Everybody's sitting out the full time. Mark, let's clear something up to the people who, you know, might not be aware of it. These games are not, you know, somebody goes, are the Bulls forfeiting these games? No, they're not forfeiting these games. And these games are not being canceled completely. They're just being postponed. I actually feel sorry for whoever is going to have to try and figure out the rescheduling of these games. Um, You know, I, I guess they'll just figure it out somewhere down the road. But these games will be made up at some juncture. Yeah, and the D- Detroit game obviously will be easy to make up. It's a short flight to Detroit for Detroit to come here and make that up, and I, I don't think that'll be an issue at all. The the situation with the Bulls going to Canada, you know, I think that's really what prompted these cancellations. They probably would have made the Bulls try to muddle through with eight guys tonight at home against the Pistons, but there's no way Canadian authorities were going to let the Bulls charter cross the border and play that game in Toronto. So they'll have to reschedule that one down the road. It's just, a, you know, there's a there's a new law in Canada, too, where if players aren't fully vaccinated starting on January 15th, they can't enter the country. That's another uh, variable thrown into the equation. It's going to get worse before it gets better, especially with uh, all the things we're going to see with people getting together, seeing family and friends over the holidays. Hopefully, the league can hang on and not have a situation where multiple teams are shut down at the same time. So now let's talk a little actual basketball. Obviously, Optimistic uh, season for the Bulls, but how do you feel they're built for playoff success going against some of the elite teams in the league? Well, uh, Nikola Vucevic has got to rediscover his game. I mean, that's the thing that's really been so (laughs) mystifying, especially over the last couple of weeks. He can't make a shot. I mean, here's a guy that shoots 50% from his career, has always been a pretty solid guy from long distance, two-time All-Star, and all of a sudden he can't play anymore. He's missing all his shots. He's He's fighting his confidence. I mean, after the last game, he even told reporters very candidly saying, I've never had a slump this bad in my entire career. I just got to try to work through it. You know, the Bulls were built around the fact they would have three all-star caliber players in Vucevic, Zach Levine, and DeMar DeRozan. And when you take their one legitimate big guy who's not playing anywhere near his career norms, that's really hurt them. For them to have the record they do when you consider that factor and that they lost their starting power forward in Patrick Williams, you know, it makes a big difference. Um, David knows I have to follow up because when that trade was made, I said, I don't like this deal. Uh, This is a guy that put up numbers on a bad Orlando team. I was wondering what you thought of the trade at the time and what you think of Vucevic now that you see him on a nightly basis. Yeah, I thought they gave up too much at the time. You know, to have to throw in two first-round draft picks, Wendell Carter, and I think Otto Porter was also in that. God bless Otto Porter. Now he's with the Warriors. He landed on his feet. David knows I'm not a huge fan of Otto Porter and is constantly being out with injuries. But, uh, yeah, at the time, you know, I didn't mind swapping Wendell Carter for Vucevic, but then I have to throw in two first-round draft picks seemed pretty excessive. Um, You know, especially when you consider that, you know, the Bulls are almost going all in to try to squeeze into the play-in last year. I mean, that shows on one hand that Arturis Karnischewicz is incredibly competitive, that he didn't want to accept losing even in year one as vice president of basketball operations. But, you know, he's given up so much draft capital considering what they had to do in the DeMar DeRozan trade as well. Uh, it may come back to bite them if they don't do something pretty substantial in these next few years. And, You know, Carter, I don't think Carter is going to be a great player. I don't think he's going to be an all-star caliber player. He's been better with Orlando, but certainly he's not setting the league on fire either. 
you know, Mark, all the credit in the world to the Bulls, you know, prior to this COVID outbreak, getting off to the start that they did. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan has been an MVP candidate already, you know, you know, before going down with COVID himself, Zach Levine is Zach Levine. But the Bulls, unfortunately, the way they're constituted and the fact that Patrick Williams is not going to be available likely all season, their lack of front court depth is, I think, is just going to kill them in the long run. So, you know, they're going to, and I saw some of the tweets that you had earlier today about potential trades. Um, they're going to have to do something because even though they've gotten off to the record that they have, to guard guys who are 6'9 and 6'10 with your 6'4 and 6'5 guys, in the long run, it won't work, and it certainly won't work in playoff situations. So what will Karnishevis have to do to get over that lack of height, you know, hump that he has on his roster? Well, we've certainly seen over his uh, year and a half as, as uh, head of basketball operations, he's not afraid to make a bold move. He's completely turned over the roster. And I think the thing that really bothers them about this latest COVID epidemic was they, they're really trying to get Kobe White's trade value up. You know, they want to get him out there. They want him to play. They want him to have a couple of those really hot shooting games where he scores 15, 18 points in a quarter so that maybe they can move him along to try to bring in a power forward who can help them for the stretch run and into the postseason. I think Io DeSumo surprised everyone, myself included. I, you know, I thought he was where he was taken in the second round, I thought was about right. You know, he was a guy with not great athleticism, not a great outside shooter, but a guy who got things done at the college level. I wasn't sure he was going to be a big difference maker in the NBA, and he still may not be. But I think that he surprised Billy Donovan and the front office with how well he's played to the point where, you know, I don't think they want to invest long term in a, in a contract extension for Kobe White. And if he could come back and, and have a few good games, maybe you could move him in a trade for a power forward who would fit very nicely on this squad. Would you say a guy like Thaddeus Young might help the Bulls? Because I do actually love his game. Yeah, you know, that's one of the things I was very curious about. And then looking into it further, they won't be able to bring him back. The league rules say that once you trade a player, you got to wait a year to, to reacquire him. So he's he's crossed off the list of guys they can bring back. And, you know, I threw out there the possibility that maybe they would trade for Robert Covington or Larry Nance Jr. because those are a couple of guys. Portland may blow this thing up. I mean, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Dame Lillard is supposed to come back tonight to play against Phoenix. And, you know, if he has lingering physical issues, they may just decide, forget it. Let's just blow this thing up and start over. Obviously, the, the general manager got fired. They have a rookie head coach in Chauncey Billups. They, they may just start over. So, you know, the problem is they'd have to match money to try to bring in Nance, who's making about $11 million. And that same rule would prevent them from trading Derek Jones back to Portland. And that's the only guy that really matches in salaries. I wouldn't trade, I wouldn't trade Kobe White for Larry Nance. And I don't think AK would either. But when you look around the league, there's going to be teams that, that are, are definitely going to be sellers as we get closer. I think Portland is definitely one of them. You look at the teams near the bottom – New Orleans is just, you know, trading water and Zion's another setback with his foot. They could be looking to make moves. Uh, you know, Denver's had a lot of problems with injuries. They could fall back in the playoff race. There's going to be a handful of teams as we get closer to February 10th. They're going to be looking to move guys off the roster. Because the Bulls got off to this fast start, I think they can kind of bide their time to see what shakes out and which teams are looking to sell. Mark, one last one from me on the Bulls before we get to the end, uh, rest of the NBA you know that I, I continue to say that Kobe White is not a point guard, and that's now 
officially been designated. He's not a point guard. He's a combo guard at best. Uh, and eventually he'll be a combo guard on probably somebody else's roster. But they finally did get the guy that I thought was, you know, going to come here eventually. And that's Lonzo Ball. And overall, I've been happy with him. But even saying that, I've also been a little bit disappointed. And, you know, sometimes you're not 100% sure about a player until you watch him on a consistent basis. Though I love him overall, and his defense is something to really, you know, behold on, he doesn't get in the lane as a point guard. And that really disappoints. He never gets to the free throw line. And I think he's got the ability, especially with Maurice Cheeks as an assistant coach, I don't understand why his game has not developed into getting into the lane and getting to the basket. Help, help me to understand that. Overall, I think he's been a big plus for this team. You know, he stabilized the point guard position. He's a very much a plus defender. And the funny thing, as you mentioned, is at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, he can overpower smaller guards. You see so many times where he'll either, you know, take a guy into the paint or he'll cross somebody over and get to the rim and he'll just blow the shot from in close. So it is kind of mystifying when – you know, you consider how much basketball he's played. Uh, we've known about Lonzo Ball for so many years that one of the weaker parts of his game is trying to finish at the rim. And you think as a big guard at 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, that would be a strong point. He really is kind of a catch-and-shoot guy from the corners, and that's how the Bulls are using him right now. I think the way Billy is using him in this offense, he's just fine. But, yeah, you get into a playoff game, and every possession is crucial, and you're grinding out trying to get every point you can. You, if you blow layups, it's really going to hurt you. So that is one area that he's got to improve in. See, but actually I'm disappointed he doesn't even try and get to the basket. I mean, he is more of a spot-up three-point shooter. Right. And again, he's been better, you know, since he's come into the league, he's certainly improved in that category. It goes without saying. But really, he's not a pure point guard like I thought he might be. And a lot of times when the ball comes off the basket on the defensive end of the court, it's going to either DeRozan or to Caruso or to Zach to bring the ball up court as opposed to, to you know, I don't know. There's there's something that's still not fully developed in his game. His brother, unbelievable. I mean, just the one game we saw him play here in Chicago, his brother has, you know, his brother's really good also and has talents that Lonzo does not have. I just wish Lonzo had some of the talents that his younger brother has. Well, there's no question. LaMelo is a, a far superior player. I mean, he can score on all three levels, and he's a, he's a magician in terms of passing and handling the ball. I think Lonzo's been okay in Billy Donovan's offense because he knows he has two guys that are isolation scorers in Levine and DeRozan, and he doesn't really need Lonzo to be that guy to penetrate into the paint on every possession and try to you know, do a lot of drive and kick stuff and get all the way to the basket. I think on other teams that might stand out a little bit more. Obviously, he fell out of favor with Stan Van Gundy in, in his one year coaching the Pelicans last year, and you know he was kind of losing playing time and basically told to stand in the corner and wait for the ball come to you. And some of that is carried over to his run in Chicago. But I think that Donovan's happy with him. I think that he's going to get better as the season progresses. And I do like the fact that you have an elite defensive guard because one of the things we talked about last season was they didn't have any, they couldn't stop anybody. And now they've improved themselves defensively at a couple of different spots. I wanted to talk about my favorite young team in the league. Uh, love to watch them. Surprise team of the league. Wanted to get your impression of the Cavaliers. I tweeted out actually a few weeks ago, two to three years. Cavaliers title contenders. That's pretty bold. I'm not. I'm not sure if I. <laughs> I'm not sure if I jump into those deep waters with you. I think that it's a good team, and obviously they've maximized what the talent that they have on hand. When you consider that a guy who averaged 20 points a year in Colin Sexton went out very early with a knee injury and is not going to come back this season, 
it almost in a way helped them because they were trying to figure out who was going to be the alpha between him and Darius Garland. And now with Sexton out, it is Garland who's the, you know, the lead ball handler and the guy who's going to take the shots from the backcourt. And they brought in Ricky Rubio to stabilize uh, the backcourt, and he's done exactly that. Evan Mobley, their first-round draft pick, now the uh, early favorite for Rookie of the Year honors. Uh, he played very well when they blew out the Bulls last week. You know, he had the five block shots. He was a terror on both ends of the court uh, under the boards. Lowry Markin is going to be Lowry Markin and very inconsistent, but they're using him in an intelligent way, not counting on him to be a, a premier scorer for him. And Kevin Love has settled into his bench role. Uh, also, Jared Allen, you know, a premier shot blocker who's improved just about every year in the league. So the roster has some pieces that you like. Isaac Okoro, a good defensive small forward. I think that's a team that's very solid. Uh, you look at some of the good young teams around the league, including Charlotte, which which is, has played well early in the year. Washington is playing a lot better after the Westbrook trade. It's going to be interesting to see which of those teams have staying power. And from what we've seen so far, based on their depth, it might be the Cavaliers who do get into the playoffs. What's interesting about the Cavaliers is the length of Allen and Mobley have really have dominated on the defensive end. And, and I was not a fan of marketing, but it seems with that front line and him playing the three, all that length has been a tremendous distraction for the opposition. Yeah, but he can't guard anybody at the three. I mean, we saw that last year. Billy Donovan tried that at times. It just – you know, Lowry's going to be that kind of player, I think, his whole career. He's going to have those games where he shoots the lights out. Uh, you know, some games where he'll grab 12 rebounds, and you think, wow, this guy could really be something, but he's just going to let you down. I think that's the kind of career he's going to have. Mark and Andy, take a deep breath for a second. Let me uh, get in a word from our sponsor. That, of course, is DraftKings. And football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on all the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code TBPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Mark, uh, as we're recording this, like you said, it's Tuesday night. We now have a new record holder for three-point field goals in a career. And honestly, you know, he's just absolutely amazing. We're talking about Steph Curry, who broke the record about an hour ago at Madison Square Garden, getting hugs from his teammates, getting hugs from his father, getting hugs from his mother. Didn't see his mother and father near each other, by the way, as they're going through or maybe have already gone through a nasty divorce, but that's another story. Um, but it's really amazing. He did it in 500 games less than Ray Allen did, the all-time record holder previously. And you know what, Mark? He's going he's gonna to obliterate that record, and it'll never be touched because he's still – incredibly in his prime. So he's going to probably play another five to eight to 10 years. Who knows how many years he's going to play? Yeah, he's remarkable. He, he is obviously the best shooter the game has ever seen. I think what makes him so special is he makes threes in so many different ways. I mean, when that shot first came into the league, 
it was, you know, a rarity that they were even launched. You know, you only see a couple of games. And Larry Bird was the first guy who really brought it into prominence. But most guys who shot the three were more set shooters. Uh, they would be catch and shoot guys. Ray Allen was obviously who was the previous record holder, was a guy who could score a little bit off the dribble in terms of shooting from long distance. But Steph Curry, you know, he will dribble in and out of guys, then dribble backwards and shoot as he's going backwards with incredible accuracy. That's the thing that really is remarkable about what he's been able to do at this point in his career to already have the record. As you mentioned, he's still very much in his prime. And he shoots so many of those threes off the dribble, going sideways with a hand in his face. You know, most of the guys previously were guys that only would shoot them if they're wide open. Steph Curry will shoot them in any situation at any point. And he's also got the benefit of having a coach in Steve Kerr who gives him the ultimate green light at any time. The Warriors obviously awaiting the return of Clay. Do you feel they'll still need an effective Clay to come out of the West and, and to get to the finals? I'm kind of amazed they are where they are in terms of their record. You know, you look at that team and, you know, they, they start Jordan Poole and, and Kevon Looney and, you know, some of the guys they bring off the bench are just, you know, average run-of-the-mill NBA guys, and yet they've got the best record in the league. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I think that, you know, getting Clay back, getting James Wiseman into the rotation is really going to beef up that team. You know, they're a little bit short, literally, on size. And they could use another big guy up front, which Wiseman will give them, assuming that that Kerr will play him because he didn't show – he showed a lot of reluctance to play him last year. I think that that roster is going to look a lot better when those two guys return. They, they, what they've done to this point is really remarkable. Uh, you know, Kerr is, is, is one of the elite coaches in the league, obviously. He's done a great job of managing that, that personnel that he has on hand. I think they're only going to get better. I still like Phoenix as the best team in the West. But Golden State, you know, if, if that's the Western Conference Finals, that's going to be one hell of a seven-game series. Hey, Mark, before the season even started, two players really dominated the news, uh, both of them not even being in uniform, one being Kyrie Irving, the other being Ben Simmons, and then everything got pretty quiet. Now, all of a sudden, both those names are back in the news. What do you think ultimately happens near future with both those guys? Yeah, I think Kyrie Irving will come back. I, you know, he went to Brooklyn as a package deal with, Kevin Durant and I'm sure behind the scenes those two have a lot had a lot of very heated conversations about what the hell's going on and I think that KD probably has some kind of understanding with Kyrie that he needs to sit out a certain length of time to make his point and then he'll come back saying that well you know I'm for the little guy I'm just trying to show that this isn't fair but you know ultimately I have to support my teammates and I'm going to return Ben Simmons it's got to the point where with all the personnel issues Philadelphia has had and seeing themselves falling into the middle of the pack of the Eastern Conference, they're going to have to swing a trade at some point. And now that, you know, tomorrow is December 15th, where players who sign contracts over the summer can be traded, there's going to be a lot more names that you're going to see banding about in, in trade options. And Daryl Morey's always been pretty creative. He may come up with a three or four team trade that gets him the guy he wants. I think that we'll probably see a Ben Simmons trade before mid-January is my expectation. And what's your sense of the Lakers? you think they can right this ship or they're in trouble? Which team did you say? Lakers. Yeah. LA. You know, I thought they were going to be pretty good this year. You know, obviously it was the oldest team in the league by a mile. They, they kind of went for the headlines by bringing in Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony and Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo. And you're thinking, yeah, that would have been a great team five or six years ago. Is it still going to be a great team now? But – you know, I, we've learned over our, our basketball media lifetimes never count out 
Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And LeBron James is the kind of guy that usually will galvanize a roster no matter what the component parts are. He's always uh, regarded as one of the great teammates in terms of, you know, making it fun to play on that team. And, you know, his teammates in the past have always said great things about him. I thought maybe he could pull this group together, but I've also never been a big fan of Westbrook throughout his career. I always thought that he was a stats-driven guy that was a bit of a divisive force. I just don't know if this is going to work. You know, LeBron, for all his greatness, is going to turn, what is it, 37 or 38 in a couple of weeks and got a lot of mileage on his tires. Anthony Davis is always seems to be in and out of the lineup. I, I just don't think they can do it. I think it's probably going to be uh, Phoenix going back to the finals. You know, and the Lakers are looking for an infusion of some kind of talent. And, and I'm sure you saw the same rumor that maybe uh, Jeremy Grant ends up out there. He certainly would help that roster. The one thing that's always sort of I admire and also pisses me off at the same time as LeBron as a general manager, that if he wants to get somebody on a roster, he ultimately gets his way. And that, you know, that Jeremy Grant on a Lakers in a Lakers uniform certainly would help that team. Well, he's hurt too now. He's going to be out, I think, four to six weeks with a oh, hand injury. Yeah, so, so, not that they couldn't look at his thumb. later on in the season. But yeah, I mean, there's talk that they're trying to find a way to get Ben Simmons and and Rich Paul and, and LeBron will have to put on their, their GM hats and, and figure that one out. But who knows if the Lakers don't come up with some kind of wacky four-team trade to bring Ben Simmons in. I would, certainly wouldn't rule it out because Rich Paul now went from being LeBron's high school buddy to one of the biggest power brokers in the league. And if LeBron wants Ben Simmons, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, they'd have to get incredibly creative to make it happen because nobody's going to want any of those old stars that I mentioned previously. And, you know, you'd have to send a lot of money back. But if you get, you know, if you if you get a four team construction, you can kind of fudge a lot of those uh, matching salary rules. So don't rule the Lakers out in the whole Ben Simmons thing. Want to go back to the East? How much do you like the Miami Miami roster? And you think, you know, they can give Brooklyn and and Milwaukee a run in, in, in a playoff series? At the start of the season, I was really high on Miami. I thought that that given the fact they had a lot of shooting. And they added Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker to give them some, some more toughness that so would really fit in well with the way Eric Spolstra runs, a, runs an organization. I thought that was a team that, that might be the dark horse pick in the Eastern Conference. But now they've had injuries. Bam Adebayo had thumb surgery. Of course, he'll be back in the second half of the season and should be 100% for the playoffs. But Jimmy Butler is banged up right now, and Duncan Robinson is having a mysterious shooting slump. So that team hasn't looked as good as, as I thought they might. I think when you get into a playoff series, no one's really going to want to play them because of the way Miami plays. They play a physical style, and they're really going to grind it out for seven games. But, you know, that was one of the reasons why Jimmy Butler's not in Chicago anymore. Uh, management did not want to commit to, to five years at max money because of the mileage on his body. And, you know, Jimmy has shown the last couple of years that, that he's broken down a little bit. And, you know, they gave him a, a huge contract. It'll be interesting to see if he can live up to that over the next few years. You know, staying in the East, Mark, a couple other teams that have been disappointments. Boston is a soap opera that's just ready to explode at any point. Atlanta, I don't know. They, I haven't watched them game by game, but they, they've certainly been a disappointment overall. And the Knicks, who started out like a house on fire, has, has been lately a house that's burning down. They're under 500 at this point. What do you make of all three of those teams? And I'm sure Tom Thibodeau is pulling out his hair. Oh, wait a second. He doesn't have any hair to pull out. <laughs> Well, you know, Tibbs is only going to play one way, and <laughs> he, he's not going to make adjustments in season. I mean, obviously, they, they sent Kemba Walker to the bench in a kind of a puzzling move, you know, saying, well, he's out of the rotation. 
I'm going to play, you know, Derek Rose. I'm going to play Alex Burks at the point, which he has no history of doing. Uh, you know, they're, they're relying on some guys that I don't know if we're going to give them consistent production. And it's been interesting this year. Julius Randle's also battling kind of a puzzling slump. He was like the most improved player last year. People were, you know, fawning on him as an MVP candidate possibility. He's taken a step backwards. It, it seems like uh, R.J. Barrett has been the key to whether or not that team plays well this season. It'll be interesting to see what they do uh, going forward if, if they're, if they're going to make some uh, roster changes as we get to the trade deadline. Tibbs runs hot and cold on guys. Uh, obviously, he still loves uh, Derek and Taj Gibson. They're, they're still going to play their minutes, but uh, they look like a team that, that could be in trouble because they don't really have enough shooting, and they don't – if Randall is going back to the way he was playing last year, they don't have enough inside scoring either. Yeah, and, um, Randall had to follow up what he did last year, and, you know, they've got to rely, rely on the young talent to grow, but, you know, they're just not a talented team at this point. And I think Leon Rose made a big mistake with the Walker and Fournier signings. That really hurt them. Yeah, I was never a big Fournier fan. You know, he was a guy that could catch fire one every five games, but he would shoot you out of as many games as he would help you. And I just thought that that was, you know, they had a lot of money to spend. And most of it they used on re-signing their own guys. But bringing in Fournier and Walker, Kemba I thought would be okay. You know, he always had played well at Madison Square Garden. There were questions about his knee, which was really bothering him during his entire time in Boston. But as I said, not a big Fournier fan. And, and now Tibbs, it, it looks like he's got a lot of pieces that don't fit very well together, and he's trying to make it work. And to this point, as you mentioned, they're under 500, and, and they're really struggling. Hey, Mark, I want to go back in time because it, you're you're looking at the guy on the screen next to you who's probably the biggest Will Chamberlain fan of all time and we like to think that Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time, but Andy will argue to the death that Wilt, and it's you know it's a good argument, and he might be right that Will Chamberlain is the greatest player of all time. What are your thoughts on that one? I love Will Chamberlain. You know, we're well, at least you and I, David, are old enough to, to have seen him play, um, and that was my introduction to basketball. And back when there was a game of the week on, and it was always Boston against Philadelphia. It was Bill Russell against Will Chamberlain. Every Sunday or Saturday, whatever day the game was on. Sunday at two. It seemed like they played 100 times a year, and there was an only an 82-game schedule. But I loved Will Chamberlain. I mean, when I was a little kid, I thought that that was the coolest thing in the world, to see a guy that was bigger than everybody on the court, could dunk people through the hoop, would block 10, 15 shots in a game. I just thought he was the greatest. And it always killed me when – Russell Celtics would, would beat the 76ers. And then when Wilt moved down to L.A., you know, they would beat the Lakers in the finals. Um, I, I love Chamberlain. And when you look at the sheer numbers that the guy put up, averaging 50 points in a season, scoring 100 points in a single game, averaging over 48 minutes for a single season when you count in, uh, you know, overtime games, the guy was remarkable. And you'll you never see any, anybody quite like that. Um, you know, people – when they look back at that era, you know, they look at the fact that he was being guarded a lot of times by six, seven, six, eight slow players who he could just physically dominate. And they have a tendency to, you know, undervalue some of the numbers that he put up. But when you consider the fact that the guy was a track and field athlete and he played for the Globetrotters, we all know about his supposed sexual exploits. I mean, this guy, this guy was an unbelievable character. And certainly I think history, while it looks back at him fondly, in terms of, you know, his character, you know, being a character, I don't think they really value what he did as a basketball player. I think, you know, when you when people talk about their all-time top five, usually you don't hear Will Chamberlain in there. And 
And just by the sheer strength of, of his numbers, I think that he definitely belongs in that conversation. It's my opinion that the NBA and the media doesn't do a good enough job in terms of telling the history of the league, not only in terms of Wilt, but Russell, Baylor, West, and even to this point, Kareem. How do you feel about that? Yeah, Kareem too. I mean, uh, I worked with Kendall Gill for a long time in the Bulls pre and post, and he thinks uh, very strongly that Kareem is the greatest player of all time. When you consider winning three national championships at UCLA, becoming a legend in high school at Power Memorial, and all he did, winning a championship in Milwaukee and then five with the Lakers. I mean, yeah, his career was remarkable. He played, what, 20, 21 years, all-time leading scorer. And, yeah, again, because of the way the game has changed to a more perimeter, guard, forward-oriented type of game, people, especially younger reporters who, who did, haven't really seen those guys in person, have a tendency to undervalue what Kareem and guys before him have done. And it's become a guard's game instead of the big man's game. And, you know, it's funny, uh, they, I saw the halftime show when, when after Curry broke the record tonight. And Shaq, you know, Shaq isn't always the best at trying to uh, express his feelings, but he, he actually pretty much said that, uh, yeah, Steph Curry broke the record, but, you know, big guys like me don't really like to see that because, you know, they've basically taken the big man out of the game, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Hey, you know, Mark, uh, for people who don't know, you're, of course, a native of Milwaukee, and you're still, I'm sure, relishing in the championship with the Bucks last season. Congrats on that again. Um, and we haven't really talked about Milwaukee. You know, they've had a lot of injuries this year. You know, Lopez, I don't know what his longtime, uh, I, I should say, his going forward status will be. Uh, now Chris Middleton got hurt again last night. I don't know what his status is. Giannis is still, if not the best player in the league, he's top two or three at, at worst. You know, what are your thoughts on the Bucks? repeating? Well, I'll tell you, speaking as a fan, you know, it kind of takes me back to uh, when the Cubs won the World Series and, and everyone's thinking, well, they're going to be a dynasty and, and they never sniffed the World Series again. Um, I learned a lesson from that, that always appreciate what you have in the present. And so, you know, it was, it was a shame that the, the offseason got shortened a little bit because I was reveling in every day that the Milwaukee Bucks are the world champions, and they still are until until we get to the, the upcoming playoffs. But it's going to be tough for them to get through the East again this year, especially with what's going on right now. Chris Middleton hyperextended his knee in a loss at Boston on Monday night. I haven't heard an update on that. You know, at the very least, he's going to miss a couple of weeks. And, you know, it could be four to eight weeks if it's a bad hyperextension or bad sprain. Giannis is going to be out a couple of weeks now with the health and safety protocols. Brooke Lopez had back surgery. He probably won't be back until late in the regular season or the playoffs. And, you know, the way the game is played now, slow seven-footers, you know, it's amazing Milwaukee got as much mileage out of them as they did in that title run last year. He had some games where he was critical, especially in the Atlanta series where Giannis was out a couple of games. Brooke Lopez had one game. I think he scored 30 points in one of the games when they beat Atlanta. So, I think it's going to be tough for them to get back to the finals. The The supporting cast around their big three is just mediocre. You know, they've tried to make some moves to bring some guys in, but, um, you know, it's still a, a Giannis-driven team, and he's remarkable. I mean, that performance he put on in game, in game six was was just unbelievable. The score of 50 points in a closeout game was just remarkable, especially so quickly after he had, had a knee sprain of his own. So, you know, I think they're still going to be a contender in the East, but I think that Brooklyn is going to be the team to beat. As I mentioned, I think Kyrie Irving will be back at some point. And when you have that big three going, 
they're they're going to be tough to beat in a seven game series. Wanted wanted to get the rookies just for a second. We talked about Evan Mobley, obviously Scotty Barnes and Kate Cunningham, three guys vying for rookie of the year. Any of the other first year players that you saw that 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 caught your eye? Yeah, I think overall it's been a, a pretty pedestrian rookie class. I mean, it really there really haven't been a lot of guys that have knocked your socks off in terms of you know that wow factor. I mean, you can see it like when you when you saw John Moran play with Memphis early on, you're like. This guy is special. The same thing when Zion finally got out there. Um, you know, you can you can tell when someone is, is really going to take over the league. As good as Kate Cunningham is, you know, I, I don't think he's a superior athlete. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a, a big-time scorer in the league. I think he's going to be a, a real good complementary player, but I don't think he's going to be a, a guy that's going to drive the franchise. Um, you know, Jalen Green in Houston, he's been battling injuries lately, but – you know, I think he's, he's a lot like Anthony Edwards last year. He's going to have those flash games where he's going to get 25, 30 points, and then a lot of games where you don't even notice he's out there. So to this point, I really haven't seen that much from this rookie class, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out as we get two, three, five years down the road. Marcus, we wrap this up. Uh, I'm really happy for you because you've, you've uh, added a lot of things to your resume over the last six, nine, 12 months. You're now uh, doing uh, ABC Sports on Channel 7 on the weekends. Um, you're also doing a very famous sports ca- uh, podcast, I should say, with a good friend of both of ours and Stacey King. And I'm sure you're having fun with Give Me the Hot Sauce. And you're also being on Marquee. And you're also guest hosting all over the place. And we're very, very, very thankful that you were able to join us tonight. Well, I appreciate the invitation. Really always enjoy talking hoops with you, David. And Andy, it was nice to get a chance to meet you and talk with you. Same here. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this, David. You, know, can't, you, you can't keep a good man down. And, and even though you and I are, are up in years, we still bring some value to the forum. And, and, and I'm glad that, you know, some media outlets out there still see value in keeping the old guys around. Well, but the thing about you is you, you've been stealing from the fountain of youth now for so many years. You, you look like you're <laughs> what's what's that movie, uh, Timothy Button or whatever his name was, where you're getting younger all the time. I don't know how you do it, man. You're fantastic. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know about any of that, but I'm, I'm just uh, I'm just glad to still be able to talk hoops and do the things that I enjoy. And, and that's been the great thing at this point in my life is that, you know, you, you love when you get to the point where you can do things you enjoy rather than working because you have to. And so I'm, I'm very grateful for those opportunities that you mentioned. You mentioned the Give Me the Hot Sauce podcast that I've been doing with Stacey. We're just over a year now. We've done 58 episodes. And just recently we had Joakim Noah on, who's a big favorite of Bulls fans. We had Michael Wilbon on last week. We're taking a little bit of a hiatus because Stacey, as you know, is, is battling COVID. And, and he, it hit him pretty hard. So, you know, we wish him the best in, in getting well. Um, he's feeling better, but he, he was he was down pretty seriously. And, and Bill Wennington, poor guy, was in Miami when he tested positive. He had to drive all the way back in a van. So, wow. you know, not you know, talk about glamorous life and broadcasters. It's not always that way. No, it's not. But again, we really appreciate you joining us, Mark. And you know, I love, love, love talking hoops with you anytime in any fashion on any platform. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks again, and we'll do it again soon.